Welcome to the podcast with all your mind, hosted by me, Rachel Grimm. We're here to help understand the Bible with cultural and historical context, linguistic info, and other cool stuff. Enjoy. Good afternoon, guys. This is Rachel, and this is With All Your Mind. Welcome back. We're kind of getting pretty close to the end of the season for this podcast. Only a couple more episodes before I'm going to take my, I don't know if I should call it a summer break, because it's going to be a bit longer than the summer, but middle of the year break. Let's call call it that, and hopefully I'll be back in the fall. Um, Let me know if you would still continue to listen. I'll let you in on a podcast secret. I can tell where you guys are from that are listening, most of you. I can tell what state you're from and what country you're from, and that's it. So I have, I think, one or two or maybe three people listening in Australia, and I can tell that at least one person is continuing to listen in Queensland, and we have somebody in the Netherlands, (laughs) no clue who that is, and... I have a chunk of people in Illinois. Please tell me who you are because I don't know who you are and it's driving me nuts that I don't know who's listening in Illinois, okay? So do me a favor, help out my curiosity. Tell me who you are if you don't live in, well, it doesn't even matter. Wherever you are, tell me who you are (laughs) because I'm super curious who listens to this and where you're from because there's also a chunk of people that you must have security controls on something or other. Or, I don't know, maybe your IP address is just confusing. But I have a chunk of people that I can't tell who you are, where you're from. I can never tell who it is. But I can tell usually where people are from. So, yeah, write me an email. Or if you know my phone number, text me and tell me who's listening. Because it drives me nuts. I, I shouldn't know any information. Then I, then it would be fine. I wouldn't care. But anyway. All right. That's my tangent. Today we're going to talk about something that I started way back in episode one, back in January of this year, and that is talking about Hebrew. Um, And that's because I mentioned that biblical Hebrew is different from modern Hebrew, but I I stopped the conversation about it there because that's a can of worms. So we're going to get that into that can of worms today, just a little bit. I'm not going to get into huge amounts of detail with it, but just to let you know, what are the differences between biblical Hebrew and modern Hebrew? If you learn one, can you communicate in the other? And how much do you understand, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So we talked about biblical Hebrew, a, a decent chunk in that first episode. So I'll just give you a little bit of a recap of that. And that is that biblical Hebrew or the Hebrew language overall is a Semitic language, meaning it comes out of a group or family of languages that is Middle Eastern and Northeast African. So some other examples of Semitic languages are Ge'ez, which is in Ethiopia. I think there's some Somali languages that are also Aramaic, or sorry, I think there are also some Somali languages that are Semitic. Aramaic, which is also in the Bible, is Semitic. And of course, Hebrew is Semitic. So that means that Hebrew is a natural language. It was not created. It didn't drop out of heaven. It is related to other languages in the world that are still being used. A lot of them are not used anymore because the people groups that use them have died out. 
but there are still Semitic languages that are related to Hebrew in the world today. Okay, um, so biblical Hebrew, we don't have a ton of information about biblical Hebrew because in order to learn about a language, you typically need a lot of literature to study in order to know that language. Um, just a side note, Russian, the Russian language only really became, oh, let's say, to have prestige or to have Mm, academic usefulness when there started to be literature for it. And Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, and Pushkin, and Pushkin, Alexander Pushkin, is the guy that really started to write good literature in the Russian language. And so he is the one that's credited for um, really making Russian a world language as opposed to just like a regional language one that was used by people, but wasn't a language that you really wanted to learn or wasn't important enough to learn, maybe, to Europeans. So in order to really learn a language and to know a lot about it, you need literature, all right? So a lot of the literature that we have for biblical Hebrew, and what we mean by biblical Hebrew is the Hebrew that was used during the kingdom of Israel and around that. A lot of the literature of the Bible, I'm using that term loosely, literature of the Bible, books of the Bible, however you want to know that. Many of those books were written within about a 500 year period. So we have a lot of literature from one period. We call that period biblical Hebrew. Okay, there's also Proto-Hebrew, there's all different stages of development of the Hebrew language. So in order to study a language, you need a lot of literature for that language to see different ways that words are used, to learn a lot of the vocabulary. Because if you imagine, in the Bible, there's lots of vocabulary for sacrifices, for narration, for telling a story, but there's not a lot of medical terminology or literary terminology or you know different technical words we don't know those in biblical hebrew because they just weren't used in the literature that we have right now when the dead sea scrolls were found in 1948 and the years after there was a lot more literature that could be looked at and used but it took many many years for that literature to be published and it's a whole it's a whole interesting long story about that uh, i read a book um this past year about the dead sea scrolls and it's a way more complicated story than i ever thought so that helped considerably with understanding the intertestamental period which is the time period in between when the old testament was written and when jesus came on the scene so the Dead Sea Scrolls had a lot of things from about that time period, which really helped with understanding literature, culture, vocabulary, and different kinds of things like that, as well as understanding theology and concepts in the Bible and what was generally understood. But I'm getting off track. Anyway, so because we don't have a ton of literature from the time period when the Bible was written, there's a lot of words that we don't know. There's that one word that's used one time in Jeremiah, and nobody knows definitively what it means, okay? So 
After, and I mentioned this in the first episode, after the Babylonian captivity, Hebrew died off as a daily language, the language you would talk to in your family, in your home. Aramaic kind of moved into the place of Hebrew. And Aramaic was the trade language of Babylon and several other major civilizations. And then eventually the Greeks used it as their trade language, and so did the Romans. So it kept on for a while. And Hebrew was just never picked up again as a main um, conversational language for a very long time. Instead, uh, the Jews used the languages of the countries where they were. Religious Jews still learned and studied and perhaps talked in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, because they studied the Torah, because they studied the Tanakh, the law, the prophets, and the writings. So religious Jews and studious Jews still knew Hebrew, but they didn't talk in it regularly. So it became... So it became a niche language, something that you learned in order to do something, a technical language almost, if you will. So through the ages, through the thousands of years, thousands, okay, 2,000, but nearly 2,000 years since Israel was in captivity all the way up until the late 1900s, the only people that really used Hebrew were people that talked about the Bible, you know, people studying the Bible, Jews studying the Bible, um, other scholars that were studying it for uh, in Christianity. Different people translated the Old Testament into different languages, right? Jerome translated the Bible into Latin in, I think, the 400s A.D., And then it was translated into English in 1500s. Um, So it was translated into different languages. So there were people studying Hebrew, but it was a scholarly language. It was a language, it was a dead language. It was very much considered a dead language. Now, along came a guy named Eliezer Ben Yehuda. He was born in the 1850s in Lithuania. But he became a Zionist Jew, which means he wanted a nation for Jews. He wanted the people to come back to a place to live together. And he realized, you know, the place that we can do that, that's Israel. We need to make a nation in Israel. But he really realized that in order to have a common land and a common people, you need a common language. Now, he moved around a bit. He was born in Lithuania, but then he moved to France, and then he moved to Israel, what is now Israel. He moved to Jerusalem. But he learned along the way that Hebrew was not entirely dead in terms of usage for practical purposes, to talk to people. He found out that merchants in Europe had been using Hebrew when they needed a common language And one guy knew German and another guy knew Russian, but they were both Jews. They were both merchants in in Europe. They would use Hebrew. So Hebrew had actually added on bits and pieces of other languages and was being used as almost like a, not a code language, but something that guys could use when all else failed. They used it as their trade language, but it was only really between Jews. 
Now, because of this, it had a lot of other different languages mixed in. All right, we should probably talk here for just a second about Yiddish. We were just talking about Hebrew to picking up vocabulary from other languages. Let's talk about Yiddish. Yiddish is considered the primary language of the Ashkenazi Jews. There used to be millions of speakers around the world, and that was before World War II and the Holocaust. Now there's only about a half a million uh, Yiddish speakers in the world today, and a lot of them are in the U.S. So Yiddish, what is Yiddish and how does it relate to Hebrew? If you look up Yiddish online, it's considered a Germanic language, which means it's considered a European language. Now, it's odd because it uses uh, the Hebrew alphabet to write it, but it sounds more German, right? Now, there are a couple of different theories about where Yiddish came from and where Ashkenazi Jews came from. They're linked. So if I'm talking about one, I'm basically talking about the other as well, Yiddish and Ashkenazi Jews. So one theory is that it's kind of very similar to the Hebrew story where Jews living in uh, Western Germany and Eastern France uh, needed a language to speak together. And it was Hebrew affected by Aramaic and by uh, Russian, by Slavic languages, and by German. And that it was basically just Hebrew that got kind of mishmashed between all these other languages and took on these characteristics and vocabulary of these other languages and ta-da, we get Yiddish. Okay, that's one theory. The other theory is that Ashkenazi Jews and Yiddish developed or got their origins in northeastern Turkey or western Iran, that kind of area um, just north of Israel and to the east a bit. So there's a couple of villages that they found in the Middle Ages that had a very similar name to Ashkenaz. And I'm not going to get into it here and now. We'll actually talk about it another time. Ashkenaz, that name. Um, but they found um, linguistic and DNA evidence working on a genome project that Ashkenazi Jews may have originated in that area western Iran and eastern Turkey, and that they've gradually immigrated into Europe. And as they immigrated, it was a form of Hebrew and Aramaic and Persian that got affected by Slavic languages and Germanic languages. But they say Yiddish actually has a lot of characteristics of Iranian languages. And that still makes sense because Indo-European there's a whole stretch from India up through Persia, which is Iran, and on into uh, Armenia, Georgia, and then straight into Western Europe that is considered the same language group. So to be considered a Germanic language, but to be actually get its origins from Iran still makes sense. We don't think that way today because we think Western and Eastern and all of these differences but it actually makes sense. So Yiddish, considered in modern times a Germanic language written with the Hebrew alphabet, might have Western Iranian origins, but basically it's 
it's kind of a mishmash language. It has a lot of different languages that had their effect on it. Okay, I'm going to stop there because <laughs> we need to continue on with Hebrew. Okay, back to Eliezer Ben Yehuda. Yiddish is a, is a tangent there. <laughs> but um, so this guy, he was like, we, we need a common language and I'm going to make it happen. And he, he did. Now imagine having a Bible in King James, a King James English Bible. And trying to make a modern language out of that and still trying to use that Hebrew language, okay? So modern Hebrew speakers, when they look at the Hebrew Old Testament, it's kind of like reading a rough King James. Like there's a lot of these and thous and sayings that you kind of understand, but not really. And you kind of need somebody to explain it to you. But you get the general gist most of the time. That's how modern Hebrew speakers would look at the Hebrew Old Testament in biblical Hebrew. It's rough. It's hard to understand, but you can get the general gist. The grammar is different. Okay. So Eliezer Ben Yehuda, he was like, okay, we have this language. We need more information though. We need more vocabulary. Like there's no vocabulary for electricity. There's no vocabulary for car or countertop or I'm trying to think, cabinet member, or, you know, all these different things that aren't necessary because that's not used in the Hebrew Old Testament. You just don't have the word countertop in the Hebrew Old Testament. Do you remember Jeremiah talking about a countertop? Nope, it's not in there. So he needed to come up with a bunch of words. So he invented a whole bunch of words and he also combed through what he could find out of history, out of people, out of everywhere that he could. He combed through all of this stuff to find genuinely Hebrew words that these merchants through Europe had either come up with or used. And he stripped out all of the foreign words. He didn't use Aramaic words. He didn't use German words. He didn't use any of those words. And he put, he made a dictionary. He made a 17-volume dictionary. And parts of it weren't even published until after he died. But he was constantly writing new words. And you can do that with Hebrew because it has a really good grammatical system for coming up with new words. And that's what he did. He, in, he kind of, he revived the Hebrew language and he fle fleshed it out, filled it out, pumped life into it. And then he, oh, he was such a busy guy. He had, he made his own magazine to print articles in Hebrew in Israel, in Jerusalem, so that people could start to read in Hebrew, um, not just about uh, Jewish matters or about the Tanakh, but he would write about modern events. He would write about current events. So he made a literature that people could read and learn the language. So modern Hebrew developed from his efforts plus a nation of people that could use it. So in 1928, when the British were still in control of uh, what it was considered Palestine, he convinced the uh, guy that was in charge of the British government there to make Hebrew one of the three official languages of, of Palestine. And that really helped it to become an officially seen as this is a real deal. This is something that's happening. People are going to be speaking Hebrew here. We need to recognize it. So what is Hebrew 
now as compared to biblical Hebrew. While modern Hebrew has different grammar, um, I still don't know the grammar of biblical Hebrew very well. I find it kind of annoying, so it's really hard for me to buckle down, which is why I'm going to take a Hebrew class this summer, hopefully. Um, but modern Hebrew has uh, all of the same elements, but they're used in slightly different ways. So the grammar is recognizable from one to the other, but they're just used in different ways. Uh, for instance, the present tense looks one way in modern Hebrew, and it looks slightly differently in biblical Hebrew. Same with the future and the, and the past tenses. But, you know, other things are still the same. Singular and plural are still the same, blah, blah, blah. It's very similar. But for English speakers, the best way I can describe it is that it's kind of like looking at King James English. If you're a modern Hebrew, uh, sorry, a modern English, it's kind of like looking at King James English if you're a modern English speaker and it feeling just kind of, it's annoying, it's intense, it's difficult to understand. You don't want to read it, but you could and you just are going to lose some through the translation. Okay, so modern Hebrew has a lot more vocabulary. Of course, it needs a lot more vocabulary. There's a set number of words that are in the Hebrew Old Testament. That's exactly how many we know from that time period, plus the literature that is used, uh, that we found, plus the literature that was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? So modern Hebrew has had to change and adapt and adopt a lot of words. There are also such things as cognate words. Cognate words are words that are just taken from another language and used in your language. Um, we have a lot of cognates in English. If you think about a different culture and a word that we might use for that culture, such as in Russia, they have tsars, right? A tsar. We didn't change that word. We just took it and put it into English letters. That's a cognate. So Hebrew has a lot of cognates. That means words taken from English or French or Russian or Arabic and just put into Hebrew if there wasn't already a word for that. And then a lot of words were invented. Okay, so today, modern Hebrew, just as much an everyday language as any other language in the world, there are probably millions of now native speakers of Hebrew um, the population of Israel today, I think, is in the 8 million range. So probably a good 3 to 5 people, 3 to, three to 5 people, 3 to 5 million of those people are native Hebrew speakers, and then there's others around the world as well, okay? So modern Hebrew is a modern language that can be used in any way that anybody needs to use it. Biblical Hebrew is the language that we know because we have it from the Bible and from other literature from the same time period, and it was considered a dead language from probably around the time of the Roman Empire when, you know, when Jesus was in Israel. It was probably considered a dead language from around, you know, one or 200 AD all the way back up until about 1900. 1928 was when it was adopted as one of the official languages of Palestine. 
before the nation of Israel even became, came into existence again. So it was a revival of both a nation and a language. All right. So that's Hebrew. I love languages, so I, I enjoy this. So I hope you did too. All right, you guys. I hope you have a good day. I'll talk to you later. Bye.